How are you tonight? We're in 2 Corinthians, and we've been enjoying our way through chapter 8, so why don't we turn there together tonight? Paul speaking to the wild Corinthian church. I always mention over and over as we get into the introduction, sometimes when we get into the meat of the text, we forget who he's talking to in the sense that these guys were Gentiles that were newly saved, primarily a Gentile church, and uh, they had lived in an area that was overcome with all kinds of pagan idol worship and crazy lifestyles that were inconsistent with the new faith that they had. And so the Corinthians were being extracted out of the old culture, and they've been taught a new way to live. And along the way, there's some stretching, there's some growing, but the Holy Spirit is able to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. Never look at a person and go, oh, man, they're too far gone, or they're too messed up, or do you realize what they're coming out of, or do you realize how they were raised, and then count them out? Because I want to tell you something. God likes to reach down and pick up the one who's been messed up and beat up and counted out the most and pull him out of the mud and the muck and the mire and say, watch what I can do in the life of anyone who will just submit to the leading of the Spirit. And in a lot of ways, that's what he's done with the Corinthians here. We are in chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 16 through 24, and then we're going to jump in. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for this Corinthian church, these Gentiles that are being conformed to the image of Christ. It gives us hope to know that no matter how we we're raised or what we've come out of, your Holy Spirit is big enough to transform us and make us look like Jesus. So, Father, I pray as we read these verses here tonight, you would make them come alive to us and you would challenge us tonight that each one of us would leave here with something from you that would sustain us, Lord, and provoke us to growth. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Chapter 8, 2 Corinthians, verse 16. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness in your behalf in the heart of Titus. For he has not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has also gone to you on his own accord. We have sent along with him the brother whose fame in the things of the gospel has spread through all the churches. And not only that, but he has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work, which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our readiness. Verse 20, taking precaution so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. Remember, they had given an offering to the church in Jerusalem. Paul's talking about the administration of a gift. He's talking about that offering that they're bringing to the Jerusalem church. Verse 20, taking precaution so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of other people. We have sent with them our brother, whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, a glory to Christ. Therefore, openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you." 
So let's unpack that. Starting in verse 16, we see the apostle continues to point out all the good things that have come as a result of this offering that was taken. Remember, the Macedonian churches, particularly Corinthian church here, had taken up an offering for their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem because they had fallen upon hardship. When we explored the dynamics of what that meant, the Corinthians had also faced a lot of hardships. Why? Because they lived in the Roman Empire and they would not worship Caesar. So they had been stripped of their status, of their property, of their money, and they were in lack and they had, you know, uh, been suffering for Christ, yet they had an abundance at the moment and they were willing to share with their brothers and sisters who were in lack. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Doesn't it feel good to give to somebody when, when they're in need and you're able to help them? Anybody ever give something? Any Seen pictures, read stories. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to do. So he's pointing out, you know, you guys took an offering and you've been sending money to them and this is a good thing. And there's a lot of good things happening because of your obedience in this. And when God does something like this in the church, when God moves and there's generosity and there's you know, there's uh, people caring for one another. When he does something like that in the church, there's always a ripple effect of spiritual fruit that comes as a result of it. Realize when God calls us to do something, whether it's an Easter play or missions in the Gambia or take an offering for the persecuted church, realize it's not just that one thing in a moment. I had shared with you a little while ago that we raised, on one Sunday, I felt, you know, the Lord wanted us to take an offering for Israel. This house raised $5,000 in one offering for Israel. That's, it's beautiful. Now, all the glory goes to God, but at the same time, you say, well, that was good. That was a nice offering. It's done. No, you don't understand. There's a ripple effect of blessing that comes from that act of obedience, and it touches every one of us who partnered with what God was doing there. It touches our lives. It touches our marriages. It touches our children. Come on today. There's a ripple effect, and that's what he's pointing out here. There's good things happening because of the good thing you chose to do in obedience to the moving of the Holy Spirit. In this case, part of the ripple effect, part of the good things that were happening was there was unity that had taken place in the leadership between the leadership and the Corinth, in the Corinthians. So Titus is now connected to the Corinthians just as Paul is connected with the Corinthians. They're on the same page. They have the same zeal and the same passion to to help the Jerusalem church, and so their relationship has been galvanized. How many know as brothers and sisters, when we go through things together, when we go through battle together, when we go through loss together, when we go and win souls together in an Easter production, that galvanizes our faith together, that, that knits us together. And that's powerful. Why? Because as long as we're disjointed, we're weak, but the minute we unify over kingdom things. I'm telling you, there's no more powerful force on the face of the earth than the body of Christ when it's unified. Woo, oh, that was enough for tonight. I'm, I, I, I tuckered myself out. But. So there's unity and there's genuine unity and it's a good thing and the people are in one accord. Uh, and I understand that, you know what? You can never accomplish these type of things in the flesh. It's gotta be a work of the Holy Spirit. We can't legislate it. We can't demand it. We can't guilt people into it. No, when the spirit moves and the body responds, uh, the unity that's produced is a work of the Holy Spirit. In verse 17 here, Paul acknowledges Titus's godly character and sincerity. Notice something about Paul. He doesn't toot his own horn. 
Any horn tutors out there? Don't raise your hand. Some people, yeah, I like to talk about myself all the time. No, Paul didn't toot his own horn, but he sure built up other people. And I want you to see that here in verse 17. He's like, for he, talking about Titus, not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest. So this guy's got the right heart. He he wants to do kingdom things. He has gone to you on his own accord. So here Paul is is kind of building up Titus's godly character and, and he's doing it in sincerity here. And this shows Paul to be a humble, godly leader because he's willing to build up others. Watch out for leaders who are all about themselves. I need some amens on this side of here. Watch out for leaders that are all about themselves. It's all about them and what they accomplished in the next book that they wrote and how many people got saved at their crusade. And you know what? It's almost like they do it in a vacuum because they never give credit to anyone else. Do you realize the, the infrastructure and the staff and the support that's just under me right now holding me up so that I can do what I'm doing here tonight? So that I can be, if it wasn't for my wife, that I could be clothed and in my right mind <laughs> and remotely matching. I mean, there, there's a support structure. Anyone who tries to take all the glory, all the credit, all the accolades, something stinks about that. Be aware of that type of leadership. Paul wasn't that way. He built up others. He did it all the time. He did it about all his fellow workers and co-workers. He gave shout-outs to them. He gave accolades to them. He praised them. He, he, had, he you know, he, he's told the other people how, you know, you can accept them. They got my stamp of approval. And that's what he's doing here with Titus. Bad leaders always make it about themselves. Bad leaders don't give compliments to anyone. Bad leaders take all the credit and, and they don't share it with anyone. And bad leaders want all the accolades and the glory for themselves. There's bad leaders in the world. There's bad leaders in the workplace. There's bad leaders in government, and there's bad leaders in church. And I want you to be spiritually mature enough to recognize the difference. Learn to acknowledge others. If you're in a position of authority, learn to acknowledge others. If you're in leadership, if you're an adult and a parent, if you have children, learn to acknowledge others and do it sincerely. It's super healthy and beneficial when those above us in the Lord give us some kind of, you know, encouragement by saying, hey, you did a good job. If you're an employee, a coworker, a teammate, a spouse, a child, when you hear, hey, great job, you did a great job, I appreciate you, let people know these things. You know, a lot of times we think, oh, they know. They know how much I appreciate them. They, they know how much you know I'm fat. They know. You know, it's like the wife who says, do you love me? And the husband says, I told you I loved you when we got married. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. <laughs> can't do that. You got to tell them. You got to tell, you know, you got to communicate these things. Same principle in leadership. Communicate to those who serve with you and around you when they do a good job, when they go the extra mile, make sure you let them know. Now, verse 18 and 19 continues here. Paul speaks of, uh, you know, these men working together with Titus. He speaks of certain people, and it's kind of a little bit cryptic here, and there's a few details missing, and I want you to pick that up here in verse 18. We have sent along with him the brother, say the brother, whose fame in things of the gospel has spread through all the churches. Who's that? 
is it raining? Because that's all I hear. <laughs> the text doesn't tell us who it is. So I was curious to see if anyone had an answer. Paul says, you know, it's kind of cryptic he's here, like the brother whose fame has spread all throughout the churches. And not only that, but he has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work, which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our readiness. So here Paul gives credit where credit is due, but at the same time, here he, he introduces somebody and we're not privy to who it is. He's letting the church know that this brother's coming. They kind of know who it is, but uh, no names are mentioned. Uh, he calls him the brother whose fame has spread throughout the churches. Now, apparently, if you dig into the text here and you get some uh, what the Bible, you know, uh, scholars think is that m maybe there was a something about concerns for security or safety or the reason he didn't want to say the name. Uh, we're not quite sure, but in this case, Paul doesn't name names. You know, sometimes it's okay to give praise and you don't have to name names. Sometimes you do need to name names and you do need to acknowledge the people who have gone the extra mile. So there's a balance there. And, uh, you know, the people who get mad if their name's not mentioned, they have growth. They need to grow, amen? You forgot to mention me, you know. You thanked everybody, you forgot me. You ever see when those award shows and people start thanking everybody and they say, I know I'm forgetting somebody. Yeah, that person's mad. You forgot them. Okay, so... If we get praise, if we get encouragement, praise God. If, if we get overlooked or missed, praise God. And I want you to see that balance there. It goes, it goes both ways. Spiritual maturity dictates that when we forget about who gets the credit, we can really get things done for the kingdom. If everybody's looking for the credit and the glory, we stifle the move of the spirit and we don't get anything done for the kingdom. I want to bring out the point that our good conduct and character displayed consistently over time will produce a good name for us in the body of Christ. You see, this guy had a good name. Why? Because he had been consistent and had produced fruit, and he was a, he was a servant, and he was a, a fellow worker. And so his fame, I, I want you to see it, his fame, what? His good name had spread throughout the churches. If you and I will be consistent and serve God with the right heart and produce fruit, you know what? People are going to begin to know that we're someone that can be trusted with kingdom things. It's important to have a good name. It's important that the churches recognize each other and we recognize godly pastors and godly people in different congregations that are, are preaching the word and preaching the gospel and saving the lost, amen? Sometimes we get too territorial in the body of Christ. Well, God bless us for no more. That's not God. It's a body. It's a kingdom. So when we have a good name, it goes beyond the four walls. It impacts the body. His fame, his good name had spread throughout the churches. <clears throat> Consider what it takes to have a solid reputation in the community. For Full Gospel Center to have a solid reputation in the community. That means not just me doing the right thing and being consistent, but there can't be even a rumor or a whisper of, you know, infidelity or impropriety or mishandling of money. That, that, that can't be there. I've known churches that their name was a stink in the community. Other churches didn't like what was going on there and, and lost people were suspicious. Oh, it's getting quiet now. 
What does it take to have a good name in the community? As believers, we need to work hard and live in such a way, as the scripture says, above reproach to maintain the, the, the good name and to maintain a good witness in the churches and in the community. That's an important thing. I'm, I'm glad to report to you that Full Gospel has a good name in the community, that we have a good name among the churches, amen, that I'm friends with a whole lot of other pastors and they're not like suspicious of us. I get invited to, you know, speak here or speak there or, and, or you know, we, we have other pastors come in and that, that's the way the body of Christ should work, amen? Should be able to have a good name and trust one another. Verse 20 shows what it takes from the apostles' perspective when it comes to handling finances in the church. Now, handling finances in the church is an important thing. Look what he says here. Taking precaution. Did you hear that? Be careful. Take precaution. Taking precaution, what? So that no one will discredit our administration of this generous gift. For we have regarded for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of other people. So let's unpack 20 and 21. It's talking about the handling of the gift. What was the gift? It was an offering. What was the offering? It was money. So we're talking about dealing with handling finances in the church. And this is, this is a, a dangerous issue. Why? Because a lot of churches mishandle money. You know what the world thinks out there? All them churches want is your money. And they're going to take it, and the pastor's going to drive around in a big fancy car. And, gonna, yeah, you can come drive my fancy Toyota with the bumps and the dents. You can get in. We can put the plow on. We'll have a good time. We can do donuts. You know, but that's what they think. They are, they're just, you know, taking all the money. And, and I want to say something. Two issues will destroy a ministry faster than anything else I know, and the two issues are these. Number one is moral failure and leadership, and we've seen that sexual immorality in those who lead the body of Christ. Right now in the body of Christ, if your head's not in the sand, you know there's immorality being uncovered in big churches. And number two is the mishandling of money. So what? Moral failure and the mishandling of money. They will destroy a ministry faster than anything else. We've got to keep ourselves pure, undefiled, holy, free from sexual immorality. We've got to handle finances in a way that's above reproach, amen? The text says taking precaution. That's a wise way to handle things. Why? Because being sloppy or playing loose and fast with finances in the ministry is a recipe for disaster. Look, I might look young. I use oil of Olay, but I'm older than I look. I'll be 55 this year, double nickels. I've seen a lot of stuff. I've seen a lot of stuff. You know the Wizard of Oz? Remember when they peeked behind the curtain? Anybody seen the Wizard of Oz? <laughs> What's with you people? We look back there and what? There was a guy, he's pedaling, he's doing all this. What? I've seen behind the curtain, okay? And sometimes it's ugly. And I'm not going to go into the stories, but I just want to tell you, use wisdom. Have, be precautionary. Watch what's going on. Don't just close. There are so many Christians that close a blind eye. Oh, well, you know, it's okay. You know, the, he's, the, he's the bishop. He's the pastor. He can do whatever he wants. No, he can't. Amen. Now, let me get back up there. <laughs> so sexual immorality, moral failure, 
The mishandling of money destroys so many ministries, so take precaution. Paul's choice of words show us the right perspective for Christian leaders, for church administrators, and for people in the body of Christ when it comes to dealing with finances. What does it say? So that no one will discredit. See, that's what the thing is. We need to have a good reputation. We need to live above reproach, amen? It needs to be above board so that no one will discredit our administration of the generous gift. You may find yourself in a position to administrate what's being given. You, you, know, you write a check, you put your offering in, you, you sow to a ministry, you give to Jews for Jesus, you give to you know, help Israel, whatever. You're the administrator. You, you, you put that bread on the water and you float it out there to do kingdom things. But understand, the, the finances in the body of Christ do not belong to the church, They do not belong to the pastor. They belong to the Lord. The tithes and the offering belong to the Lord. So we we don't, you know, we we don't think, well, you know, it's the church's money. I've heard, I'm afraid to even tell you some of these stories here. Anybody want to hear some stories? A couple smart people said no. I had one pastor try and tell me when I was a young, when I was a young preacher that, you know, when you tithe, you tithe to the pastor because in the Old Testament, they gave the money to the priests. So you can write your tithe check to me. <laughs> I didn't, I wouldn't, and I never would. In fact, I challenged him on the loose and fast theology of that, reminding him we're not in the Old Testament. So... <laughs> People play games with these things. It's something that we need to be cautionary about. Um, Nothing destroys a ministry faster. Verse 21 gives us three interesting points about handling finances in the body of Christ. So let me read 21 again. We have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of other people. This is important. Church leaders need to be honorable in the way they handle what's given. They're responsible to the Lord for that. And let me tell you something. There's going to be hell to pay for those who mishandle the church's finances. I get a magazine sent to me about uh, 501c3 violations, and every month in that magazine, there are pastors who are in orange jumpsuits because they got put in jail for, for embezzling and stealing church money. I was tempted to put their faces up on there, but I don't want, I don't want to make anybody mad. But, you know, it's crazy. We have to be honorable in the way we handle things and above board. And uh, that means doing what's right in God's eyes with what comes in for church finances. Now, people's perception of the way the church handles money is important too. Look what it says, but also in the sight of other people. Too many Christians get arrogant and go, well, it's none of the world's business. Too many pastors get arrogant. It's none of anybody's business. Well, then you're not going to have a good reputation in the community. And that's why so many people in the world think the church is all about money. Now, I don't, you know, I don't shy away from teaching about giving. I don't shy away about teaching about money. It's part of the full gospel, amen? It's part of everything. But we don't focus on money here. We don't, you know, try and shake you upside down and get all the loose change out of your pocket or grab your WT and match it up with your giving record. We, we're not doing that. God always provides God provides for the ministries that he is, you know, involved with and in control of. If you you see ministries on TV, on radio, or in local churches, always begging for money, something's wrong. Something's being mishandled. So 
It matters what we do and it matters what people think. Think about all those with evil hearts who have mishandled money in the kingdom of God and now think about the multiplied millions of people who use that conduct as an excuse to never go to church. Don't you think that they're gonna answer for that in eternity? I do. Here's a sobering thought. We're gonna answer for our attitudes and our actions and the way we shape other people's view of Jesus by the way we behave. Claiming to be a follower of Christ comes with some responsibility. And whether we like it or not, people are judging God, the God we serve, by the way his children act. I know pastors who energetically told other people who claimed to be believers and were acting like heathens. I remember this one pastor called a guy into his office and he told him, stop telling people you're a Christian. The guy was in immorality. He was out of control. I mean, it was, this, it was crazy. And he's like, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I go to this church. Stop telling people you come to our church. <laughs> Could you imagine? Like, I wasn't there. This was, you know, secondhand report from the pastor. But I was like, man, I wish I was in that meeting. <laughs> you know, the way we behave, the way we act, the way we conduct ourselves matters. Yeah. People are judging God. They're judging Christ by the way Christians act. Sobering, isn't it? Maybe it's wise not to tell someone we're a Christian if we're not acting like one. Well, I'm a Christian and you're at work wasting time and stealing time and coming in late and having other people punch in for you and you're lazy and you get 15% of the time you're, you're not doing any work. I mean, I'm a Christian. They're watching. They're judging harshly. They're not your mama. They don't love you. And they're blaming our conduct on Jesus, and that's a, that's a sad, sobering thing. Verse 22 brings out some great principles of Christian service. The Scripture lists many specific requirements for those who would be deacons and elders and pastors. And here, uh, you know, let me read you 22, and then I might read you some of these supporting Scriptures here. Um, we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things. So I want to focus in on the testing here. And we're going to look at that in just a little bit. But realize, for to be in ministry, to be a servant of the Lord, the scripture lays out requirements. And if you're taking notes tonight, I want to give you three scriptures. I'm not sure I'm going to read all of them. But uh, listen, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 11, and Titus 1, 5 through 9. These scriptures give the biblical requirements for those who would be deacons, elders, and pastors. Listen to 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. It is a trustworthy statement if a man aspires to the office of overseer, that's a pastor, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, that's a man, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, skillful in teaching, not overindulging in wine, not a bully, but gentle, not contentious, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? 
not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fail, fall into condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into disgrace and the snare of the devil. That's just one text. You know, 1 Timothy 3, 11, 8 and 11 goes on for more. Titus gives more. I encourage you to read those on your own time. But these are the requirements for ministry. Now, as you listen to those and then you line that up with certain people who are in ministry, do they pass the test? Now, look, none of us are perfect. And if we want to go through the list with a, you know, Pharisees fine-toothed tome, I'm sure you can find something wrong with me and we can get rid of me tonight. Right? So it's not about being legalistic like that, but it's about, you know, being humble enough to say, I, I need to measure up to this standard. And if I'm any of those things it says I shouldn't be, I need to repent and get right and grow. So there are requirements for being in ministry, and there are standards for leadership. And if they are not met and they're not upheld, a leader should be disciplined. They should be asked to repent. They should step down if necessary and submit to the process of restoration and being restored to the ministry. When I was in Bible school, one of the most powerful teachers at our Bible school, a beloved teacher, fell into alcoholism. And he stood up in front of the whole chapel, in front of the whole student body, confessed his sin, and stepped down and went to rehab. I want to tell you something. We love that guy to death, still do. He's passed on. He's with the Lord now. An incredible man of God. But what made him even... I mean, I was close with him, always loved him. We had a connection. But what made me respect him even more was his willingness to humble himself publicly. Because most, most of the leaders I've seen, when they sin, they cover it up. And they hide it or they make excuses for it or they handle it privately and quietly. This guy did what the Bible said, stood up, repented, went to rehab, got restored years later back in ministry, finished out his ministry as a, as a dean in the school, impacted thousands of lives, not just by the good fruit he produced, but by the humility that he produced. When, when ministers mess up, they should be held accountable. I realize... You know, in the body of Christ, sometimes this happens and sometimes it don't. But I'm telling you what the Bible says so you know. That we know the scripture tells us how to handle these things. No leader is perfect, but there are standards. Back to verse 22. The verse suggests what? That for those who would go into the ministry, that there should be a time of testing. Look what it says. We have sent with them our brother who we have often tested. Look at that. Say tested. There was a time of testing for this guy. Paul is, you know, telling everybody you can trust him. He's a godly man. He's a consistent man. But why can he say that? Because he took the time to test the guy. And testing is what qualifies us to be in five-fold ministry. Listen, untested leaders who, who, you know, who are thrust directly into prominent places will always hurt the body of Christ. We've seen this before in our culture. Someone with a big name gets saved, and within six months of being saved, they're the pastor of a megachurch. We've seen this before. Don't play dumb with me. I know you've seen it. You know, you're looking like, I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah, we've seen it. You know, a big name, and all of a sudden, they're on staff, and the next thing, they're preaching, and the next thing, and they're untested. 
And not one of them that I can ever remember has lasted. And when they imploded, as the word guarantees they would because they were untested, they hurt the body of Christ. They made us look stupid in front of the whole world. Look at those Christians. It's all about celebrity. It's all about notoriety. It's all about big names. Wow. God help us. I'm looking forward to the last days when God does big things with nobodies, amen? We don't need celebrities in the body of Christ. We need people who are called, who are set apart, who are tested, and who are placed into ministry by the Holy Spirit when they are ready and validated so that they will not embarrass the church. So this is why 1 Timothy 3.6 clearly says not a novice. Remember when I read you the requirements of an overseer? It, it tells you flat out, not a novice, at least being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. So you got to be tested. You can't be a newbie. You got, you, you, there needs to be a time. You know, you don't go from sitting in the pew to not going to Bible school to now you're in charge of the body of Christ. Verse 23 through 24, I'm going to bring this in for a landing. It doesn't look like any flesh is going to survive tonight. The chapter concludes with Paul validating his fellow workers, uh, and he's validating the men he's sending. He's encouraging the people to receive the, the men that he's sending to administer the giving of the offering here. Listen to 23 and 24. Um, it says, as for Titus... He is my fellow partner and worker. There, the affirmation. Among you, as for our brothers, they are messengers of the church as a glory to Christ. Therefore, openly before the churches, show them proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you. <clears throat> so realize Paul is closing down here the chapter. He's telling them, we're sending you these guys. We've affirmed who they are. They're tested men. They have produced spiritual fruit. You can trust them. So he's being very parental in verse 24. He's basically saying to his spiritual children, when you receive these guys, love them and don't embarrass us because we've been bragging about you. You ever brag about your kids? Anybody? Are you all just looking at me? No? Nobody? Oh, they did this and they did that. Look, they got a certificate and they hit a home run and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Paul's doing the same thing. He's like, like hey, Corinthians, we've been talking you up. We've been kind of bragging about you. you. You've grown. You really made us proud. So when these guys come, don't embarrass us. It's pretty human, isn't it? It's pretty parental. How many times you threaten your kids? We've got company coming over. I want you to sit down and shut up. Anybody else get that? When my parents aren't here, I can blow the whistle at we got the talking to before company came over. And if we didn't listen, there were beatings handed out at the end of the night. So Paul's encouraging them, look, we're affirming these guys, love them when they come, and, you know, we've been bragging about you, so be on your best behavior. And it's a win-win in the body. This offering here that was taken has produced a unity that is... Uh, created a synergy in the church between the leadership and the body. It's also produced fruit in a lot of areas, and it's a good thing. When God's doing a good thing, we should get on board because there's a lot of blessing attached to it, amen? Amen. So next time, doing a Christmas play or doing an outreach or we're giving to, get involved, get involved, get on board. Get some of that blessing, get some of that fruit, amen? 
And when it comes to integrity and handling finances and, and being above reproach and, and, and avoiding immorality and avoiding the mishandling of finances, all of us should be cautious because you know what? We represent the king and we represent the kingdom. And it matters what other people think. We should have a good name in the community and a good name in the churches. Let's bow our heads. Father, I just thank you tonight, Lord God, for this text. And week after week, you just unpack this stuff and it blesses us and it challenges us and it teaches us, Lord God, what, what the word says. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that every deposit that was given tonight by the Holy Spirit would be tucked deep in our hearts, that we'd have wisdom and understanding to know uh, how things should happen in the body of Christ, how things should operate in the church, how ministers should behave and how Christians should behave so we don't shame Jesus. It's a big thing to call ourselves Christians. So let us have conduct and character that lines up with that, not conduct and character that's unbecoming. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Give him praise tonight.